Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Good evening. Well, the secret is out of the bag. <laughs> then I, let me give you the humor that some people said you were supposed to say something. Uh, <clears throat> the humor about Johnny was talking about Lazarus Comfort. Uh, I'm a little bit hard of hearing, so I came fifth. I'm fifth <laughs> member of the family. We are six children, so I came fifth. And I've been coming fifth all the time, so... <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, friends, both present in this magnificent church in Bangor, and all who are hearing us right now or later on through webcasts, I consider it a great privilege for joining the many godly witnesses to this wonderful mission conference. We have been sharing the goodness of God and fulfillment of his eternal purposes in all four corners of the world and among all people groups before return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Especially humbling when we realize that year after year, for now the 79th year, God's ambassadors from all corners of the world have stood here and heralded that God is very much alive, alert, active, and engaged. And Jesus Christ is building his church where gates of hell cannot and will not prevail. Let me briefly introduce myself a little bit more and the ministry God has entrusted to me and a precious and wonderful, dedicated team across many countries. I was born and bred in Iran, as my brother Peter said, and I was six-year-old, that is 60 years ago. And if you're good in maths, you know my age now. I thought only ladies are afraid of letting their age now. Men are more sensitive nowadays. I was six-year-old when I, in a broad daylight vision, I saw Jesus. That That was an extraordinary and profound meeting an encounter which has stayed with me, an encounter with Jesus, Father, and Holy Spirit. Since then, I have never looked back in studies, in business, in electronic engineering, having a company or ministering. There is one life, and the purpose is to serve God. I got married to my childhood sweetheart 40 years ago and lived in Iran until the end of the eight-year Iran-Iraq war. In 1989, we felt God calling us out for fulfilling a unique purpose, which we knew it a little bit in shade and fog, but later on it came to be very clear. <clears throat> we founded a ministry based on 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, as 2 to 2 Ministries International. The vision and mission is quite simple, to see Iran changed for Christ. This is a God-sized goal and requires faith and strategy only by God. We are primarily engaged in training and equipping those we hope and pray will be the destiny makers of the future of Iran. I hope that you notice I didn't say future church of Iran, that not only church leaders, but leaders in every strata of society. Both myself and my colleagues at this exhibition hall will be glad to meet and share with you about what God is doing in more intimate detail. We are focused on three countries which speak the common language Farsi. Iran has 80 million people, Afghanistan, 31 million, 
and Tajikistan, 9 million. Altogether, 120 million people speak the same common language, Farsi. The title of my presentation today is Transformation of a Nation. How does it happen? Transformation of Iran. How did it happen? While we are speaking here about gates of hell will not prevail, church buildings remaining from the first century in Mosul are being blown up. Crosses in 1,200 churches in China are being torn down. Building of the Episcopal Church in southwest of Iran, Kerman, who was a listed building from the Iranian Heritage Society, first turned to a barn and then dilapidated, finally, three years ago, bulldozed to the ground. Satan and powers of darkness are gloating. What is the church? What is Christianity? Despite this arrogant denial that the real church, that is the body of Jesus Christ, is unstoppable and will grow and will accomplish God's purposes on earth. I have assurance from the scriptures, and this is how it goes. I believe that God Almighty does not pursue a policy of abandonment. God doesn't abandon a nation or a geographical stronghold because the politics are against the church. God is following a plan from the beginning of eternity, beginning of the creation of the world. And it's unfolding gloriously. It unfolded at the cross and finally at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the day of Pentecost. God has a very clear and very well pronounced and proclaimed strategy, which does not change unlike human perceptions and politics. If you are interested in Iranian politics, it was only on January 21, 2002, where a U.S. president called Iran and a couple of other countries as axis of evil. But another president, after a decade, just a few weeks ago, called, Iranians have to be engaged in real politics. Politicians are not swayed by righteousness, mercy, equality, and defending of human rights and bringing, preparations of bringing perpetrators of atrocities to justice. But rather, the immediate need of viability of every nation, which sadly is only perceived to be trade deals and is looked through the prism of wanton materialism, is their goal. As we read in Psalm 2, God loves at the schemes of mankind. The core principles of God drawing Farsi speakers to the cross is presented in two verses. That's my take. First is Isaiah 65, 1. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. And in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So first, transformation of a nation is all in God's hand and in his timing. I will repeat myself. It is in God's hand and his timing. When I was growing in Iran, I remember I was 14, 15, knocking on the doors. My father used to work in the Bible site. He was there for 40 years. So the British and Foreign Bible Society gave us a pack of different stories, which is quite common in the 
Muslim mindset. The prodigal son, Psalms of David, the parables of Suleiman the Hakim, the wise Solomon, and also some other portions from the scripture. I remember 15 years old boy and a summer school recess, I would knock on the doors at the time of the Shah of Iran. Now, I don't think many of you would remember the Shah, the king of Iran. He was deposed 37 years ago when the Islamic Revolution came to Iran. Knocking on the doors, there was total freedom. Churches, schools, Christian schools were thriving in every major city of Iran. Presbyterian Mission Board, CMS from UK, Lutheran Mission Board of Germany had come and built schools, hospitals. So mission work was thriving, but nobody was interested. And I remember that very day in Tehran, it was called Khiyaban Sayyid Jamaluddin Asadabadi. That's the street name. I'm sure you can repeat that. Khiyaban Sayyid Jamaluddin Asadabadi. And I was knocking on the doors and saying, and people said, you know, in the afternoon siesta, summertime, 40 degrees centigrade, you put an egg in the street, it will cook in one minute. What are you asking for, young boy? I said, well, I've got some portions from the scriptures, holy scriptures. It's about Jesus, stories of Solomon the Hakim. Shut up, go and work, you lazy bug. This is what I heard. Went on and on and on. I remember I stopped and cried. At least I knew this verse, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. I said, Lord, nobody is taking these scriptures. And finally, I was cheerful, one guy Pastor, he says, what are you doing, young boy, in the street at this hour? I said, I have these scriptures. He looked at my pitiful face and took one. I went to the end of the street, came back. He had torn it and thrown it into garbage. I picked it up. So what happened to Iran? In about two centuries of Christian evangelical ministry in Iran, all in all, the statistics show that there were 300 Muslim converts. But let me give you this and submit to your attention that in the last 35 odd years since the start of the theocratic regime of the Islamic rule over a million Iranian Muslims have accepted Jesus Christ I think this deserves a bigger hallelujah and amen <laughs> now I'm a from a business background, they have told me don't try stress statistics, especially from a businessman, especially from a salesman. And evangelists are considered as salesmen. So don't trust statistics. Go to Iran. Go to Iran and test it for yourself. Hearts are changed. And this is what I would appreciate if you could do. First of all, Iran is a beautiful country. Anyway, anyway a few days ago, right honorable Philip Hammond was in Iran opening the British Embassy, which is a commendable act. By isolating a tyranny, you do not change the attitude of tyranny. But he openly said that many British businessmen are waiting to go, and I hope Christian businessmen will go as well. If you stand in the streets of Bangor and walk around and ask 100 people random, do you have five minutes, I want to speak about Jesus Christ, you reckon how many people will respond favorably? In Bangor, just try it tomorrow. 100 people random, old, young. I want to share about Jesus Christ. How many people will stop and hear you? Now, prove me wrong, please. Go to Iran, ask 100 people with Islamic robe, with a big beard of fundamentalist Muslim, women, children, 
I just want to ask you a few questions and I want to share about Jesus Christ. How many people do you think will stop? 99%. And if you share with love, with clarity, with conviction. The word of God has to change us so that we are convicted. And people know and see through us. As it says San Francisco of Assisi says, always preach the word if necessary using words. And the stats indicate of people who have gone to Iran have come back. We have awesome friends who have gone to Iran, including Americans, Brits, and others. Over 50% are ready to accept Jesus Christ right there in the street. The problem is they will insist to feed you. Now, if you're very much food conscious and diet conscious, that will not suit you very well. But if you enjoy rice and kebab, you are there for a fiesta. <clears throat> God alone can change the heart of mankind. God is the source which, who draws nations to him. That's rule number one. So why at this juncture of history, Iranians, Afghans, Tajiks are turning to God? I don't know. It is in his plan. <clears throat> Harry Martin was 25 years old. He entered Cambridge University at the age of 16. He was a brilliant guy. At the age of 16, 200 years ago, went to Cambridge, graduated at the age of 24, and in 1812 went to Iran. Sorry, 1806. He translated the New Testament into Farsi 200 years ago. So if a young man, a Cambridge graduate at the age of 25, can go from the UK into Iran and translate the New Testament into Farsi, I think there are many young people who can do it again now. And British and Foreign Bible Society completed the Bible and printed it in 1845. At the time of the Shah, in that total freedom, we were engaging in conversation with Iranians. None of them were interested to hear about it because, oh, pervasive materialism, uh, the move of uh, factories in Iran, the buzz of the cars, everything which was... Uh, in an era of uh, enlightenment for Iranians, was catching their hearts and attention. And uh, nobody was interested to hear the gospel. I remember when Ayatollah Khomeini, the founder of Islamic Republic, was coming back to Iran from France, from Newfoundland Chateau of Faris. I was standing in a major thoroughfare in Tehran, at a square called Meidane Ferdosi, the Ferdosi Square, the famous poet square. Five million people were welcoming the Ayatollah. Five million people. The estimate was maybe more. And I saw the bitterness, the anger, the anguish. They were shouting slogans, death to America, death to UK, death to Israel, constant death. And that death and that curse of death has engulfed the Iranian society in the last 35 years. I stood there and I made a very simple prayer, very simple, but yet very audacious and arrogant. God, what did we pray? What did we get? You know, in the good old days in Iran, if we had a good day, good year, maybe one Ali, one Hassan would come to Christ. If it was a revival year, maybe two or three of them will come to Christ. And then all of his lost schools, universities, colleges, Bible society, all are shut down or expropriated. Missionaries are expelled. And all this anger and bitterness came out, and we thought that all is lost. 
We have lost as a church three milestone opportunities, and I want to quickly quote it for you. At 1266, Kublai Khan, the emperor of Yuan dynasty, asked Marco Polo, this is a historical fact, to return to Rome and bring 100 priests, look at this, to teach the way that you are telling me. Because Marco Polo had certain things and informed Kublai Khan, the famous emperor, the grandson of Genghis Khan. And he says, this is very good. Can you teach us more? He says, no, I don't know. We have people called priests. He says, go and bring 100 priests. This is a historical fact that he came back to Rome, spoke with the uh, Pope, and he says, you're out of your mind. He sent two Dominican brothers with him, or priests, or Franciscan priests. I don't know exactly. I don't remember it now. And they got ill on the way, and they returned. What if the church was ready? Second milestone was in November 1945, two months after surrender of Japanese forces to General MacArthur. He was a devout Episcopalian. He sent a telegram to Truman and others, and also to the Presbyterian Mission Board, asking for a thousand missionaries. And he says, there is a spiritual vacuum. This is quoting exactly what he says. There is a spiritual vacuum. Brothers and sisters, there is a spiritual vacuum in the Islamic word. When we say father, that word father and the reconciliation to the cross of Jesus Christ, understanding the grace which brings us to eternal light. I love what the epistle says. It says, you were not in darkness, you were darkness, and now you are light. So this reproachment through the cross of Jesus Christ and understanding who the Father is. Knowing the Father is so important. Muslims have an orphan spirit. Please do some study about orphans, how they behave. Quarrelsome, fighting, hoarding, killing, maiming each other. They want to exist, that's all. And this is what drives Muslims all across the world. They have an orphan spirit. And they have a thirst. There is a spiritual vacuum. And we have to be ready. Sadly, without orientation, thousands of missionaries went there. But they were entwined with the American occupation forces. Despite distributing hundreds of thousands of Japanese Bibles, the church did not grow. Third milestone was collapse of communism in Russia in 1999 after 70-odd years of communism. I was in North Carolina, in, 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 uh, invited to speak in a conference, and there was a gentleman from an organization, let me not give you the name, he was next speaker, and we got friendly and we talked together. He says, Lazarus, after the collapse of Soviet Union, I was there with Brother Andrew from Open Doors and others. So we put an ad in a paper in Moscow, if you want, Correspondence course and material about Christ write to us. After a few days, they contacted from the Moscow post office, said, come and collect your rubbish because we cannot distribute the mail. They had received over 20 million requests. Brothers and sisters, that's a long story he shared with me. Where was the church? Why was not the church prepared? Now, not praying is tragic. Praying and believing that God will do something and not preparing is catastrophic. Every bank 
every food chain, every trade organization was believing that Russia will open, but the church was still praying on their knees. There is a time to pray. There is a time to prepare. Let's go and look at the landscape of Russia. Disintegrating into abyss of darkness. There was a cry for God, which the mission agencies were not ready to respond. There is a disillusionment amongst Muslim countries. I can speak particularly for my country, Iran. 80 million people, 60% under the age of 26. 22 million young people, 18 million children up to the age of 14. 3.3 million university students. Every year, 200,000 young people are graduating from universities. But there is over a million in prostitution. Over 5 million in drug addiction. Iran killing and hanging drug dealers is the highest user of drugs in the world. Every year, over 400 tons of only opium is being used. Brothers and sisters, my concern and our brothers and sisters who have come to Christ from darkness to light, the concern that we have is while Islam is being unmasked in Iran by Muslims themselves, while Islam is being dethroned there as a philosophy which doesn't work, it doesn't work morally, it doesn't work socially, it doesn't work philosophically, it doesn't work economically, While it's being dethroned there, will be enthroned here in the West. And it's being done now by liberals. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says in Matthew 20, 12, 12, 25. He knew their thoughts and he says, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If you have got the heart to watch it, please come. I'll show you a YouTube video. That ISIS is slaughtering like pigs and sheep 500 Shiites. And the blood is pouring into a river. A kingdom against itself will not survive. So transformation comes firstly in God's timing. But also we have to know the times. In First Chronicles 12.32 we read this from the scripture. From sons of Issachar. Men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. So it is important to be sensitive to God's timing. I love what Jesus says in John. He says, I don't do anything except watching what the Father does. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus has to watch the Father doing and engaging, how come we are not watching what God is doing in these countries? From Sudan to Morocco to Indonesia to Sahara. We come together as some ministry leaders once every year or once every two years. And there are stories after stories of divine miracles. In the Kabylie tribe of Algeria, in the mountains, a whole village one day wake up. 700 of them. Every one of them had seen a vision of Jesus Christ. The boy was acting you know, weird and Mom says, what are you doing? He says, I don't know. So finally, long story short, he shared. And mom says, I have seen this. And then husband says, why are you, woman, acting weird? And they says, well, I can't tell you. I have seen this. 700, all of them. 
God is pouring His Spirit in a marvelous way. There are so many wonderful stories I have to share. People tell me all the time after the meetings, why didn't you share more stories? In a neighboring country to Iran, a young couple had run away. Because it's not only Christians who are persecuted. Many Muslims are persecuted, as you see. They had come to a neighboring country and they were sitting in despondency because many university students who speak against the regime are imprisoned, incarcerated in prisons. Many Muslim clerics are in prison and some of our prisoners of faith have met them and discipled them and led them to Christ in prison. So they were sitting down. All of a sudden they said, in broad daylight, a brilliant light started shining upon us. They were mesmerized. What is this? It's as if many huge spotlights are upon them. He says, immediately some, another phenomenon happened. Every photon of this light carried a fragrance, a fragrance which was beyond understanding. The whole room was full of this aroma, sweet aroma. And they were looking at each other, completely captured by that. After a few minutes, the light went and the fragrance left. And you know what they said to each other? This is only Christian phenomenon. Hallelujah. I think you deserve to say hallelujah now. This is a Christian phenomenon. It's the sweet aroma. This is only Christian phenomenon. And they didn't have any clue about Christianity. <coughs> they thought, let's go out and walk. Maybe something will happen. Maybe this God will do something for us. At that time, there was a believer in the same city. This is about four years ago. Prompted by the Holy Spirit, put a New Testament in his pocket and walked out. You cannot differentiate Iranians from non-Iranians in that country. He says, Lord, what am I going to do? He says, keep walking. And then he saw this two couple, one couple coming. He says, they are the guys. I want to give them the New Testament. So he approached them. He says, sheepishly, are you Iranians? They said, yeah, how did you know that? God's timing, sensitive to time. He says, I've got a message for you. And very politely says, we have got something called the Holy Spirit, you know. Okay. The Holy Spirit told us to give this testament to you. And they started crying. Secondly, Transformation comes exercising our faith. I spoke about 222 ministries. Let's talk about 111 ministries. That's Hebrew 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith means what God clearly sees and wants to be implanted in our hearts, in your heart, in my heart. It's interesting in times of judges... Judges chapter 15, verse 11. 3,000 capable men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that Philistines rule over us? You know, I, I can remember Samson meeting these guys. He would say, No, I don't know. I don't think that Philistines rule over us. When we say that our vision is to see Iran change for Christ, people tell me, that is a very big request. Yes, it is a God-sized vision. Do you remember, do you remember, Lazarus, that Philistines are ruling, uh, ruling over us? The Ayatollahs are ruling over us? No, I don't know that. Because I believe God is ruling over nations. God is not abandoning nations. And because God does not have a habit of abandonment, God will change that situation. Samson didn't agree with them. It is a lamentable situation where 3,000 able-bodied Israelites will go and say that, don't you know that Philistines are ruling over us? Thirdly, it's our preparation. In Daniel 2.22, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, 
and light dwells with him. Bringing very quickly to the end, let's pray together. And as we have been doing in this wonderful conference, let's plan together. Let's partner with each other. Let's prepare. Let's create provisions. And let's position ourselves in the trajectory of God's timing. Brothers and sisters, there are three ways of dealing with Muslims and Muslim countries and nations. And I've seen all three of them happening. Either we can be very confrontational, ridiculing them and telling them that this is sinful, this is ungodly, this is hellish. What you're doing is not righteous. God has not told us to do that. And sadly, I see even some Christian evangelists in Farsi programs are doing that. Confrontational evangelism. But also there is another dangerous part. I've seen over especially the last seven years, accommodational evangelism. If confrontation is dangerous, accommodational is worse. And this is perpetrated and done by the greatest of theologians in the West. Recently, weekly Bible translators were pushed by this to change the Son of God to child of God because it is hurting the Muslims. So accommodational evangelism is saying that there is truth in what you do as well. You can be Muslim but follow Jesus Christ. This accommodational evangelism is the most dangerous ailment which is coming to hunt us. But I don't believe neither in confrontational evangelism nor in the accommodational evangelism. I think we have got a wonderful good news, glorious news, and it's called proclamational evangelism. There is a sense of urgency and immediacy, as my brother Chuck O said. It is immediate. People are thirsty, people are ready. I'm not exaggerating. Many of them will stop and talk with you in Turkey, in Uzbekistan, in any of these stands, in Iran. This is the time to take action. Let's be observant. Jesus saw, amongst the multitude, he saw Zacchaeus. Let's be informed. Let's keep ourselves informed. We are not unaware of devil's craftiness. Let's be inspired. You know, whatever we give food to our thoughts, it inspires or really depresses us. There is so much wonderful news in the Middle East. God is doing amazing things. What makes me sad when I'm going to church after church in the West, very few people in a congregation of 5,000 know what God is doing because we trust the information from the media, which is totally biased and deceitful. Be prayerful. Be united and be engaged. Brothers and sisters, let me be a little bit Iranian snobbishness, bring a little bit of Iranian snobbishness to the situation. When you look in Acts chapter 2, there are 15 people's group, and Reverend Paul Mollard is speaking on that every day. The first three are from Iran, Midians, Parthians, and Elamites. Then you go to the word of, the God, the word of God, there is Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, Esther, Habakkuk, all of them are happening in the land of Iran. Iran is a very central part of God's plans unfolding. And because of that, I believe God has got a plan for the end times. Also, when you see Darius, when you see Cyrus, when you see Artaxerxes, three kings, Ezra chapter 1 begins that he decided, Cyrus, to send back 
all the loot which was taken from Jerusalem and rebuild the temple of Jerusalem. So in summary, how we can transform nations, we can do it single-handedly if you are following God's plan, God's timing, God's country. I submit to your attention that Iran is ready. The harvest is big. Jesus says, open your eyes and see the harvest. It is ready. You don't need to sow the seeds or plant the seed. Take the sickles and go there. I'm encouraging each one of you to come in here to listen to our stories, to take a pamphlet. By the way, if you cannot partner in financing or praying because there are so many wonderful mission agencies, at least kindly come and take the pamphlets so that we don't carry it back with us. There is a pamphlet called Transformations and Transformers. We want to produce transformers, thousands upon thousands of them. I submit to your attention that Iran will open up very soon. And every one of us will be able to go freely. Churches will be established. And maybe Bangor's sister conference will be happening in Tehran. I hope that Tom will agree with that. Bangor in Tehran. Anybody interested to come to Tehran for a Bangor conference there? Woo! Wonderful. What is impossible for us is a possibility for God. And I'll finish with something which a friend of mine, an Indian preacher called Ram Babu says. When David saw Goliath, he says, this is too big. I cannot miss it. (laughs) Brothers, sisters, this is too big. We cannot miss it. Let's put ourselves in the trajectory of the Holy Spirit and shoot ourselves to the direction that God has. We will not miss it to the glory of God and salvation of nations. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.